Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. Guys, it's Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover, uh, with the Mind Gym's podcast. Uh, twenty twenty. How was everybody's holiday and uh, happy New Year? Um, hopefully, uh, you uh, found something new over the holidays that's going to change your uh, your twenty twenty and something to keep that mind sharp. Uh, and here to share some beautiful minds and assist in changing some lives and hopefully change the way you see your world. Uh, as, it, as you guys all know, I suffered from severe anxiety and depression for several years and, and hoping by sharing some other people's stories and my story, it'll benefit you. So please share this with your friends, families, loved ones, and uh, we rely on your support and feedback and don't be afraid to, to leave a review at... Uh, benefits us deeply uh, when you're willing to share and take a minute out of your life to help us out. So uh, I got a buddy on today that's uh, got a freaking amazing life story. We're only going to be able to touch on a small portion of it, um, but this could probably be a good six to eight hour podcast if uh, if we allowed it to go that far, but I'm not sure where I could keep you guys dialed in that long. But anyways, uh this is my buddy, uh, Greg, Greg Godfrey. He's uh, a rock star in the uh, Daredevil TV world. <laughs> that's, is that that's true? One, that's one way to put it. That's one way to put it. He was the founder of Nitro Circus um, and a self-made entrepreneur. He's a daredevil, I'd say. Adrenaline junkie. Filmmaker. Um, Disney. Were you a stuntman for Disney? I was, until I got my start. All right. So a stuntman, you weren't in an office. I was in an office, but that, that didn't work out. Yeah. I wasn't very good in the office. Right on. So I went and hucked my body off a few things and was able to make more money doing that. Well, I have to touch more on that. Um, recently, I've been hanging out more with Greg. He suffered a pretty rough divorce in the last uh, couple of years. So he's uh, attended my group. Uh, a few times over the last year or so, and I think he's found that uh, um, these Byron Katie worksheets uh, really can help square you up when you get out of balance. He's now remarried to a sweet young gal named Chelsea. And uh, one thing I think that's neat about what Greg's done is he's figured out a way to to do what you love and also have financial success doing it which we'll touch on with his Nitro Circus and a few other businesses he's fired up. Um, and I do love that he is a fan of the work of Byron Katie now after his uh, tumultuous divorce that he's been through. So anyways, he is, uh, let's see, talk about the Baja 1000. Uh, the, or let's, yeah, in November 2007, he won the Baja 1000. Uh, on a motorcycle, setting a world record for his 12, is it 1,280 miles? Mm-hmm. 40 hours? Mm-hmm. 40-hour, 22-minute solo motor bike run, which is a uh, off-the-road race. And then later that month, crazy enough, his nephew Tanner, which we'll touch on slightly, was paralyzed in a motocross accident. And then uh, he also set the world record for the longest semi-truck <laughs> ramp <laughs> jump, which was the first of its kind, <laughs> measuring 50 feet. So I guess you jumped a semi-truck 50 feet in the air. Yeah, well, the first time. The first time. That's got an interesting story to it. So we got to talk about that one, too. Yeah. That's something we want to cover. <laughs> Semi-jump. 
This guy, anyways, he's a. Uh, <clears throat> I thought I was pretty crazy kid growing up, <clears throat> and as I've got to know Greg and chatted with his buddies, uh, Willie Gray and and Burke Priest, and I don't think I quite hold a candle to what this dude's done as far as <laughs> lobbing your body off cliffs and jumps and. Well, Whatever it is. We're not that smart, so. so we have to find ways to make a living. Yeah, tell me about it. So anyways, so how the hell are you, buddy? Good. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thanks for being on the show. I'm excited to hear about your uh, world. <laughs> You've heard about it. Uh, I've heard some of it. I haven't heard it all. Excited to hear a, a little bit more. So tell me a little bit, Greg, about your uh, upbringing. Like, where did this Godfrey family decide they're going to be? You know, my maniacs. My mom and dad, I went to Brighton High School. I lived in Cottonwood Heights, and my dad had, had started a racetrack, Bonneville Raceway. And at the time in the Salt Lake Valley, that was the only real racing that went on, at least asphalt racing, drag racing, oval, and motocross racing. So I was, my whole life, I was brought up around. My dad was a promoter, and that's what I like to do. But he, he could sell anything and get people excited about anything. And so. The racing was was really exciting to me, and I loved racing motorcycles. And so I started racing when I was four years old, and I never stopped. I still haven't stopped. I still can't. You know, it's almost a 40, what am I, 50, 45-year career. Yeah. And my brother and I, my brother was really into it too, and he, he was the one that kind of took me out, Willie and I, and my cousin Jeff. What's your brother's name? Scott. You only have one brother? One brother, and, and he's the one that runs the trucking company now. Yeah. So Scott really is more the tame one. He's still kind of an, he's, he's a little messed up in the head, but I'd say out of the two of us, he was the one that was a little more structured. So he did really good with the trucking, and I, I could, there's no way I could do that. It's just too structured for me. Uh-huh. But the way I watched my dad do the racetrack and the way he was able to kind of take a vision and an idea I mean, people around the country had been doing racetracks, but just promoting, you know, it was kind of, he was making it up. And so film filmmaking is a lot like that. So I was able to kind of take what I'd learned from my dad, what I learned in school, what I learned from other promoters, and just kind of put together these projects, these film projects. So that's yeah. kind of how that came cool. about. <clears throat> and uh, you looked up to your old man a whole bunch, didn't you? I, I think I looked up to my brother. Your brother more so? Yeah. Really? I looked up to my dad, yeah, for sure. But my dad was, and I'm the younger brother, so he was kind of checked out a little bit. I I did look up to my dad, but my brother was the one that definitely was the one I looked up to. Yeah, the one you kind of idolized, yeah, a little bit. Which it seems like that's what we do. Yeah, the older brothers, right? I had three older brothers, and we always definitely look up to them. So, what about your mom? Tell me briefly about. She's fantastic. Mom. She was kind of the glue that kept our family together. Yeah. You know, she's a hell of a matriarch. Hmm. So she's great. Cool. And they're both still around. Yeah, right. my, my dad's, dad's barely functioning. Bit, right? yeah, yeah, my mom's still going hard, but yeah. uh, my dad's, <clears throat> he's in a rest home, so kind of hard to watch this invincible man break down yeah. to nothing, but yeah. he still won't quit. Yeah, it's amazing. Cool. So tell me a little bit more about your brother, Scott. So you looked up to him just because he was a good role model? Yeah, he was He was that, and he, he took care of me. And he he just looked out, I don't know, he just looked out for me, took me to races, he taught me how to do a lot of the things I, I really enjoyed, you know. And Scott would always say that he was never the athlete, and for some reason he wasn't blessed with a lot of uh, physical <laughs> attributes for for being the athlete. But I don't know. I think it was because I was trying to compete with him. You know, he's five years older, and so as a kid, when you're fighting against people that are that much older than you, then when you're fighting against people your own age or competing against people your own age, it was easy. Yeah. So I think that helped a lot. So hanging out with him helped me in sports because I'd watch him try and do stuff and. And, I, you know, I, like I said, I'd compete with him, my cousin, and, and, you know, and then when I, like wrestling or football or racing, when I'd race against people my own size, it was just different. Huh. It was a little easier. Cool. Any sisters? I have a sister. She is nuts. Yeah? Older sister. Really? Yeah. 
Not so as far as she's crazy like you, she's or a, she's just she's a, she's a risk taker. Tracy's great. She's yeah. Well, it runs in the family, obviously, yeah, right? She's she's even more than my brother and I. She's really. Yeah, her. She it, likes to go. It shows in her kids. Her kids are, I'd say, the biggest risk takers out of the whole family. Really? Yeah, Ethan, Josh, and Tyler. Oh, cool. Yeah. So is she younger? Older. Older. Yeah, and she was as a kid. She was crazy. She, she was. Too. Uh, she, but not, no, I mean not just like taking chances. She mm-hmm. she got involved with. She was like a state champion gymnast and mm. had a full ride to Utah State for that, but. She partied way too hard, lost her scholarship. And wow. Yeah, she got involved with a lot of... Crazy stuff. Yeah. And she turned her life around, though. Yeah, she's doing good today. Yeah. She's solid. Yeah, she's really solid. Married a good guy. That's really awesome. successful. Hmm. Amazing the journey we go down to find what the heck's important <laughs> around. Huh. Amazing what happens. Human beings. I know, you start talking about them and... I get choked up. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. Crazy. We all got stories, don't we? We do. Pretty nutty. Um, so tell me about your career a little bit. So how do you go about from riding motorcycles and racing, uh, launching yourself off jumps and whatever, and how do you turn this into a business? Like, where, where does that even start? For me, it was... It, I had a formula that I still kind of utilize to this day. So I, I found something I, I could not, like if it's something I loved, I could focus 24 hours a day on it and do really well at it. But if it was something I hated, it was really difficult for me to engage. Mm-hmm. So I recognized that at a really young age, that that was how I operate. <clears throat> and so, and money's not really ever been my driver. It's whether I love something or not. And so I would... Get the the crazy thing about like Nitro Circus is there is a couple. I, I I love film. I love making movies. I love watching movies. I love being involved with movies. I just love movies. And so I'm like, all right, I couldn't really break into the narrative filmmaking world at that time. It was just it was you know I knew nobody that had done it. I'm this kid from Utah, and at that time it was super super difficult to get your product distributed. It's not like YouTube and so forth today. It's a little easier. It's a little easier to get a break. So I had to raise money and then try and make a project, and I had to ride it out, and I had no credibility. But what I did have credibility in was motorcycle racing or in that world. So I would just go back to my old contacts, and I would ask them, and I developed a project around motorcycles, you know, because that's where the money was. And so I was able to develop this with Ricky Johnson, Roger DeCoster, Jeff Ward, uh, David Bailey, those are kind of the superstars when I was growing up, Bob Hanna, and I had some different companies that gave me money to make this project. It was a movie that I wanted to do called Legacy. It was kind of this history. It was more about what I enjoyed watching when I was growing up. So got a hold of those guys, and then Roger introduced me to the head of Suzuki and so forth, and then it was like I went into Suzuki and said, you know, I'm 24 years old, and I pitched them on this film, and they said, yeah, we'll give you a million for it and then you know and I thought oh I've, this is a home run I got this no problem I came home told my wife and she's like oh great this filmmaking thing's going to be easy and then I went out spent the money and then they and I had no contract or anything and they pulled back the money no they, way. they didn't give it to me you spent the money meaning blew it or you spent it on the film film I yeah. spent it on the film I went and started making the film without right. getting the money and the con and I just didn't know what I was doing oh. and so, I mean, I, ha- I had some money, but yeah. I spent like $100,000. And I mean, that was a lot to me. That was your own cash yeah. you spent? It was on nobody credit cards. you a check. No. Well, some people did. I got investment yeah. money, and I was just able to talk. Huh. So I got something. I had like $30,000 that we had raised through different sponsors and Alpine Stars. And they were my very first. He wrote me my very first check, Gabriel Mazzarella from Alpine Stars. So... That I've always been very, very grateful and faithful to him. So, wow. um, but Suzuki pulled out. So I here we had sixty thousand dollars in debt. We had to finish this movie, so we had commitments. I learned really quick not to get in debt, and I had to finish do what I said I was going to do. So I finished the film. Probably wasn't as good as I wanted it to be, but in the process, we had enough material that we created a series called Children of Metal, Children of a Metal God. We were able to quickly tap into the top writers at that time, Ricky Carmichael, Travis Pastrana. And as I was shooting with Travis, he was 14 years old. I'm like, this kid's a star. 
I got to wrap a brand around him. He's he's brilliant. And so a really good friend of mine, Jeremy Rawl, he was an attorney. And I, I to this day, I don't understand how Jeremy became an attorney. He barely graduated from high school. And, you know, we kind of lost track of each other. So he, we re, when we reconnected, here he graduated from Pepperdine, with, you know, passed the California bar and didn't wow. want to be an attorney. And so he jumped in with me and we just went for it. Jeremy kind of helped manage a lot of the structure of the of the production company and then I would just do what I did making the film and getting people excited about it and involved and we started you know and because of the drag racing and all that I I wanted something with the word nitro in it mm-hmm. you know there had to be something that I didn't care what it was and so Jeremy's like well maybe we should put like circus you think that would work like call it the nitro circus and I'm like yeah that that'd probably work and we bring the the name back to the to the writers and Andy Bell's telling me it's the stupidest name he's ever heard and Travis says he was embarrassed of the name and and uh, I always believe that the brand it doesn't matter what you call it you can call it flim dippity it doesn't matter sure. you know look at Google right yeah it's what the product is is that becomes the brand and mm-hmm. so I was just more concerned about the content and what we were creating and and then eventually, like within three years, everybody's like, oh, that name's brilliant for what you guys were doing. And, you know, it was Nitro's a perfect expression of what that product is because it's just wide open, balls to the wall, sure. and there's no limits. It's a circus. <laughs> it's a circus because anything, yeah. anything goes. Huh. But it was G-rated. You know, I had young kids and yeah. wives that I was trying to, not wives, but Jeremy's yeah. wife and my wife that we were trying to keep happy and not yeah. offend. And Travis's yeah. mom, you know. Yeah sure yeah cool so then uh where did it roll from there we we did um where it really took off we did i think four films and johnny knoxville called travis and said we're doing this tribute to evil knievel you know why don't you guys come help us and so travis calls me and he says greg knoxville and jeff tremaine just asked me to come do this this is our opportunity probably get a television show out of it so i said i'd help them but they had to go with me to MTV and pitch a, a series, or through them, you know, because they at the time Johnny Knoxville was the biggest thing in MTV. Yeah. Like they loved him, and Knoxville. Yeah, we just hit it, hit it off. Those guys are just like us. Mm-hmm. They were, you know, we're not so much about putting things up our sphincter hole, but yeah. they the mentality was exactly yeah. the same. Some crazy stuff. Yeah, so we really hit it off with them. And then within two months, you know, Knoxville, to his word, and Jeff Tremaine and Trip Taylor, we were in pitching MTV and immediately because Knoxville endorsed it, so let's do it. Really? So we just, and then that's when it took off, the brand took off. Huh. We got that national exposure, and it, we only did two seasons on MTV. Yeah. So, so that got you rocking and rolling? Yeah. So did you, were you kind of the main dude that helped Travis Pastrana get rocking and rolling? Yeah, it's interesting. Or did he have a career before you? Because you, he was 14? He's 14, so it's Travis's, Travis's situation, and I, you know, he might have a different take on it, but my take sure. on it is he was a superstar. You know, mm-hmm. he, was, he was groomed to be the next greatest American motorcycle racer, dirt yeah. bike racer, sure. supercross, motocross guy. And, and Travis had, a, you know, he was just, he would push too hard for, for a racer. He worked as hard as anybody, you know, as far as training in that. He'd go to bed on time, and he didn't party, he didn't do anything. He just worked. Yeah. But the problem with Travis is he it was more important to him to entertain the crowd than it was and you know and winning is entertaining but yeah. he couldn't help himself if you know making this drastic pass in a super dangerous section to put him in first place and the crowd's going to go crazy that was more important to him and it was for me it was very easy to see that. Mm-hmm. So I came in at this weird juncture in his career and he he was really struggling to to find traction in the big bike class, the 450 class. And he kept crashing, he kept getting hurt, he was constantly injured. And so I came along at the right time, and Robert even said that, Pastrana, he goes, Nitro Circus is Travis to mm-hmm. a T. And so when we were doing all these crazy stunts, it fits him. He's he's the best I've ever seen at like putting himself in extremely difficult situations and pulling it off. Mm-hmm. Like he should have been dead, and I'm not exaggerating. At least ten times on different shoots, really. And he just he doesn't panic, and so at these moments he just does really well at like finding solutions to get out of things. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think it's his time to go either, though. I yeah. mean, nobody's that good. Yeah. But wow. so so Nitro, when we came along, or I got involved in his career, it was like, it was this transition. Everybody forgets that, like, the, the industry was super down on him. And then, because he wasn't becoming what they all wanted him to become. He was becoming what Travis wanted to become, and he was a superstar in the freestyle world. And so we took that, and as we built these this brand around him, he started to really gravitate more and more into what that was, which was going out and doing these fun antics, I would say they are. And he was very good at it, and so nobody's going to compete. And, and a racer, when those kids grow up with that kind of discipline, you know, you, can, you know you're going to go out on set, and you're, you're, he's going to be on time. He's going to be on the set on time. He's going to give it 110%. So no matter if he's an actor or any kind of an employee, I mean, he's not an employee, but, it, but you want that kind of person, and that's what he brought to the table too, mm. plus this super high daredevil thing he'd learned from his father. And, you know, just when all of us got together, it was just super fun, and it just worked. So cool. You could feel it. Yeah, you could feel it. And I, I'm a guy that goes off of feeling. I'm not not that smart, but I really tap into it. And when you, when I felt that momentum building, I was just like, man, we've got something special here. Yeah. Wow. Pretty cool. So, how long did the you run the Nitro Circus? Was it just yours then, or did you have partners? Or well, Jeremy was my was partner, it? and we brought in Jared Knight from night transportation and without Jared and his family, there's just nitro would not be what it is. The Knights put the initial money into it to help us create the products we wanted to create. I mean, Mm. Jared, you know, Mm. without, without them believing in us, it just wouldn't have happened in those initial stages. And so we, we went in and, and, uh, they, they funded it. So it was Jared, Jeremy and Travis and I, and we, at the beginning, Travis didn't have any, ownership in the business and then we gave him some and then um so as we grew we ended up doing a live tour piece that just exploded um which you know again coming from this promotional drag racing i'd done a ton of events but i'd never really done shows like we started doing so we started doing these kind of live action dramatic pieces that we they were we started in australia with a guy by the name of mike pora and that was, I mean, the first show we went in, there was, you know, 8,000 people. It was packed. It wasn't a big stadium. And then we went to Sydney, and we sold out two shows at 18,000 a pop. And I wow. couldn't even believe it. I'm like, man, we, again, this is, it was, you know, it was seven years to get to that yeah. point, 10 years. But it exploded. And you, the Australians are so hungry for this kind of thing. And Mike knew it. And he just took what we were doing in the movies, and he turned it into a live show. Hmm. And he was very he was very astute. He was an old rock concert promoter guy, and he created another thing called the Krusty Tour, and mm. and so that took off. And so all of a sudden, you know, it's a big business. And I don't again, I'm not I'm not going to pretend I'm some wonderful businessman. And Jeremy's kind of a can be a half wit, but you know, he's much better than me. And the Knights, you know, they 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 know business. They yeah. they got a multi-billion dollar trucking company and so we're trying to pull it together of how to what to do with this thing and and we ended up selling most of it not all of it to a company a massive entertainment firm out of new york called rain mm-hmm. uh brandon gardner and his partners and they own every big entertainment outfit outside of viacom in in the entertainment world and we're part of that now hmm. so what year was that that was 2014. So are you still involved? Not really. Not are you really. still own a small yeah. percentage of it? I still you own still p- get some income from it? Jeremy and Travis and Jared and I own the biggest portion of the privately held part, if that makes sense, yeah. of Nitro. So. Yeah. Huh. Cool. Yeah, so I get some out of it, but we spend way too much money, so we don't get a lot of residuals. They need to get a little better at that. Oh, really? <laughs> a little better at managing their yeah. funds? And I was... You know, I was at a point where I was so burned out. My family was, you know, starting to get contentious because I had, at that point, I had all my my nephews in there. My ne- my daughters and my son were all competing, or not competing, but performing in the shows, and it was a really fun time. And, you know, I'd been injured a lot. 
and you you got to pay a price. You can't you you can't just treat your body like that and live like that and not pay a price. And so what happened? This is where you come in to the story. You know, we I I was kind of lost. I you know I sold out to the business and and uh, it really was a negative experience. It didn't. It was super negative, and you know. Um, didn't know how to go forward mm-hmm. with what I was doing. I thought I did, but I, I was just lost. And my wife was, uh, she was she was over, you know. It, that was when the movie came out about all the concussion damage, you know, from the NFL players. Mm-hmm. And I have that. Yeah. And then we had a good friend of ours that is in this world, this action sports world, Dave Mira, that, you know, took his life because of all the the damage to his head and um there's multiple other you know riders and and performers that are going to suffer from you you know this lifestyle sure and i just you know i shelly's a good person Mm -hmm. my my ex-wife i was married for 26 years and we have three beautiful children and and she uh she was just exhausted with it, you know, and, and she didn't see any way of going forward. And, and, uh, there was a little bit of money there and I think she just wanted to be done and go start her own thing. And I didn't want to be done. It wasn't my choice at all. I felt like we'd worked too hard in this relationship and, you know, it was weird because, you know, I've never told really this ever publicly. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'd lost nitro to a certain extent Mm-hmm. Where I'd sacrificed. I mean, we started that thing in my backyard, and money from I had a second mortgage on my house to start it, and then it becomes this big business, and it's like everybody's just playing positions to get control of it. And yeah. I, I just didn't understand what was going on. Sure. Plus, my ego's so big that I'm just thinking, oh, nobody's gonna kick me out. They kicked me out. Yeah, and they sold me out. Mm-hmm. And you know, my wife, Shelly, again, she's a good person, but. You know, she she sold me out. Yeah. She was done, and and uh, she saw that she, there was money on the table. She took it, and she went, and you know, she she started a new relationship real quick, and and uh, ended up taking off with that guy and marrying him. And it was the most difficult thing I'd ever experienced in my life. You know, here's the woman that I loved more than anything my business that I loved more than anything and and you lose it all yeah um I had Greg Miller bump into me and he said he goes uh Greg he goes I'm so sorry to hear about you and Shelly and I said well it's horrible you know and he goes that's my worst nightmare yeah (laughs) and uh you know I've had multiple friends I'm like yeah great I'm living your worst nightmare but the thing about it is it's been such a blessing too because now all of a sudden you have this opportunity to try and understand why it happened. I mean, it ha- didn't just happen to me, right? It sure. was things that I did, and I was a jerk in a lot of ways and had a lot of things to learn. Um, didn't need to go down like it did, but that's that's how it went down with all of it. So here I am at 50 years old, and it's not like I'm starting from scratch, but, you know, I'm rebuilding. Sure. And I think, you know, that's where you and I connected. Mm-hmm. And I got into... Um, Willie, I was in a really dark place. Shelly had moved out, and, you know, Willie said, we're going to go over and talk to this friend of mine, Brandon. And we went over to Brandon's and did group, and I was the one that jumped in there because, you know, I wanted to get as much out of it as I possibly could, and we did the worksheet, and it was on my ex-wife, Shelly. Yeah. And I couldn't even believe, like, what came out of it. And it wasn't anything about her. It was all me, yeah. you know? And I thought, oh, I can I can do this. And yeah. And so as this process has gone on, I've, I've really, you know, I know we've been, I've not been involved with your stuff, you know, all the time, but like right now I've really needed it. You know, it's been so confusing of some of the stuff that's going on and, you know, why, when, when you go through a divorce like that, it's like, and the kids and the kids are suffering and, and, you know, I have adult children, but it, it's just unfair and her mom did the exact same thing her mom left you know at the exact same age 49 left her father Mm -hmm. 
and Shelly is 49, left me, and it was, so this pattern, you know, we're watching this go down, and I'm like, this has got to stop. How do we, how do, or how do we deal with this and, and it's not be a victim? So as we went through the worksheets, it was miraculous. It saved me, I think. Yeah, yeah. Allows you to let you know there's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, huh? Yeah. That there, uh, you actually can survive this. And then it also shows why these events show up for us, right? You know? Well, I'm learning that. Yeah. Right? I mean, these events, they all have meaning behind them. And just whether or not you want to fight it and ignore it or buckle down and, and look at it, you know? But it's been fun to watch you over the last year, Greg. Like, I think the first time I saw you came to group and you did a worksheet was probably, what, a year ago? Oh, a year and a half years, ago? Two years ago. Two years ago? Yeah, and it was like such a profound shift that we watched take place. And then people kind of go behind the radar, get you know under the radar, and then all of a sudden the last few months again, you're, you're hungry again. But I just love it when people show up and they're hungry. I, gotta, I can see the hunger in you. And I think you've got to be hungry, and you've got to really, really, really struggle to be able to want to find like truth and what's the meaning, you know behind all this instead of just, you know, pushing it and uh, shoving it all down and not taking a look at it. But I just love, Doesn't I love your, your willingness to be fearless enough to be able to look at your, you know, stressful situations because most people don't. It's even like two years ago, you know, I, I hear stories like, oh, yeah, how's Greg doing? Oh, I think he's struggling a little bit. And I'm like, oh, all right, you know see if he shows up again but like it's timing everything's yeah. just so so timing and man how long do you want to suffer and how much pain and agony do you want to go through before you're willing to well and i think one of the things that was open up really good about your group too is is my new wife chelsea who's been remarkable through this you know last year and mm-hmm. um she uh we went in and did a group with Brandon and she's, you know, she's a therapist by trade. And so mm-hmm. she'd never really done the Byron Katie work and, and Brandon, it was, it was amazing to watch her. So, so Brandon brings her in there and she's, we set her down and, you know, she's fearless. And so she jumped right in there and you wouldn't think she would be the one to do that, but she, yeah. she jumps in there and she's working through her scenario. And you, you said, that is my absolute favorite thing you watch, when you watch Chelsea, what she did. And it, she said, I, Chelsea described it as she could actually feel her brain shifting, yeah. the patterns in, in the way she was thinking. And yeah. That's extraordinary. That's got to feel good for you. Oh, I, I mean, it's, I absolutely, yeah, love it. Just to, I just love watching people transform. Transformation is amazing, but especially when you can explain it so well. My situation when I did my first, it was actually my second worksheet, was very similar. After I got done, I was like, you know, I did my first worksheet with my mom and the same thing. I'm like, mom, my brain is actually moving. And I think that, you know, the neurotransmitters in your brain just shift and get more properly aligned and maybe all your left, right hemisphere, they balance out. I don't even know what takes place. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a yeah, but the, it does. surgeon. But to They're, be able to listen and watch people explain the, it, it's unbelievable. But there's that, right? There's the physical shift. But, but don't you think that it's just the process of it's just our thoughts? Oh, yeah. It's 100%. 100%. Like the story I just told. Sure. That could be told 15 different ways to get a different result, right? Absolutely. So... So yes. that's the thing. If anybody's <laughs> struggling with anything and you go deal with or go to Brent deal with, go to Brandon and his mother or go to the group and you jump up there and do this, no matter what you're going through, you, you'll be amazed at all it is is shifting. The, I, and I look back at like my ex-wife, like that is 100% like her thing. She is so stuck in her story. And, and what she perceives it to be. And all you, both of us, all we'd have to do is shift our story and, you know, things could be different. Absolutely. That's all it is. Be no problem. But we're so caught in ego and all that. And yeah. that's what I think is freaking amazing yeah. about your stuff. So It's fascinating. Yeah. And it's, yeah. I don't know if it's my stuff, but Byron Katie's well, worksheets, you, her stuff, but she wouldn't even claim them either. 
but just understanding the process and how it works, it's incredible. But yeah, all you're doing is changing your perception. But yet I've had this conversation with so many people that are struggling, Greg, and then there's so many people that are not even interested in, in attempting or trying the worksheet. And obviously they're not ready because, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher shows up. But I'm just, I'm shocked that there's not more people out there on the planet doing this work because it's so transformative and there's, there's, there's nothing like it that exists that I've found. I agree. So, but from my perception, is yeah, they're not ready. But it's it's a lot of it's just trying something new. Mm-hmm. Like you just don't believe it's going to be that easy. Yeah. And honest to God, it is that easy. It is, huh? Yeah. And and it's like if anybody's like struggling with this, and you know, I'm probably telling way too much personal stuff, but whatever. It's go to go to Brandon's group and just watch, and then get up there. What do you call it? Be the volunteer? Yeah, just volunteer. Watch. Yeah. So, yeah, usually 10 to 15, 20 people show up, just so for those of you that are listening. And uh, we share for 20, 30 minutes, and I ask somebody to volunteer. Um, And sometimes it takes a minute for somebody to volunteer. But whoever volunteers at group, I walk them through their worksheet, like individually, while the rest of the group um, uh, watches and sits back and and enjoys the show but uh then obviously meet one-on-one like we did a few weeks ago but yeah the groups it's neat it's amazing it's community how do you grow without community you know what i mean i posted that the other day like community is necessary for your personal growth and evolution like you got to go be vulnerable in front of a group and but we've learned to hole up in society and and sit and hide and and not and put on a facade because we don't want anybody to know we're struggling. That's why I think it's cool that first night you came, you're like, right off the bat, who wants to share? I'll do it. I'm like, <laughs> damn, dude. You don't even know what this is about. But you you know, you just jumped right in, took the bull by the horns and Well, you know you know wow, it's cool. There was uh, you remember what the guy what's the guy's name that was the he had the cook or the he'd go around the world and eat people's food or whatever and Oh yeah, Anthony Bourdain. Anthony Bourdain. Here he is, a super wealthy guy, super successful. Um, kills himself mm-hmm. because you know men were just taught to be so mm-hmm. tough and and look everybody anybody that's listened to this I I will go head to head with any of you guys at risking something or trying to be tough or whatever so the point of it is be tough in the right ways be fearless in the right ways mm-hmm. this is being fearless in the right ways you can either stuff this crap in your life and worry about what people are going to think and, and not get help and not not figure out a way to, to move past your pain or what's going on in your life. And, and you know, Ryan Hughes, that's what I was going to say, Ryan Hughes got on this big rant on social media, and that guy never says anything, and I've always respected Ryan. He's, he's a tough guy. And he just said, you know, there's no reason men, talking to all of us as men, that you don't just need to reach out for a little bit of help. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's... we it's it's okay it's yeah. not it's not that we have to sit there and suffer and be tough and whatever and you're you're really going through this you can you can reach out and 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 I really don't care what people think about me so I want to be able to get I want to connect with people I want to be able to immerse myself with people I want to care about people I want to I that is so important to me and that's beauty about your what you're doing it's like that that is what I love about film you know the beauty of it is or a show is here's 10,000 20,000 people all experiencing the same thing at the same moment at the same time and space here we are for two hours we could all share this together and to me that's what I absolutely thrive off of it's not just like you know getting accolades or whatever it's it's that moment and when you go to group, it's it's the same exact thing. Yeah. Everybody is experiencing that at the same time, but it's really trying. You know, it's not just an entertainment piece. It's something that's. I, there was there are people that last time we went to group, and there was a particular woman, and she came up and she she I'd known her from from different things in the past, and she's like, I don't, I just don't want to. I don't want to get up in front of everybody and divulge this. And mm-hmm. it's like, are you, why are you suffering and doing this? If why did you even come? Yeah, get up there. You know, yeah. face it. Like you know, it's 
it, it it's get through it, then help other people through it. That's why we're yeah. here, you know, for anyway. sure. Yeah, it's crazy. Most people don't want to, uh, just don't want you to see their underbelly. You know what I mean? It, they're scared. It was, I don't know if you watched on Sunday night, um, mentioned this Lori Pritchard. She's an anchor for Channel 5 News. Um, there was a special on Sunday night. Her hubby killed himself in on August 16th of last year, 2019, which was, I believe, on her birthday. But he was struggling a little bit with um, depression, I guess, but he really wouldn't talk to her about it, and he didn't want to talk to the world about it because he said it was a weakness, and he didn't want anybody to believe that he was weak, basically is what her post said and from watching the show. But um, uh, but she's now out, you know, saying, I guess this is new. my new life's, you know, work and journey is to help people know that, uh, hey, you know, if you're struggling, don't be afraid to ask for help or get some help or get some professional advice, therapist, whatever. So I reached out to her over a couple of days ago just on Facebook, and I haven't heard back from her yet. But, boy, I'd love to chat with her because I read a bunch of her posts and just to let her know, you know, hey, there there is a way out. And even if she's suffering, there's a way out for her, too, of the suffering she's experiencing from losing her well, for sure she's husband. suffering. You know what I mean? So, I'm, man, I'd like to get a hold of her. So, anyways, Lori, if you're listening, <laughs> you know, we'd love to have a show up. I'm shocked, too, Greg. So, you notice, you know, what, what a neat experience we do have at group. We're getting sidetracked here and talking about group, but it's all good. Isn't that what are we supposed to talk about? Well, we're supposed to talk about whatever you want to talk about. <laughs> Um, but I'm shocked that there's not 10,000 people there. Yeah. Well, because after you it. come there and you show up, tell me you don't walk away and you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so excited for tomorrow morning. Yeah. But yet, you know, 15 people show up, 20 people show up. And it's work, you know. It's not like you some know. magic formula. It's like yeah. you do, like, say, like, there's something that's really ailing you. It's You do a, you do a worksheet, but you got to sure. do maybe 10 or 15, or yeah. would you say Byron Katie did for <clears throat> it over her mom? Yeah, so she said, I think she did worksheets, either 10,000 or she did it for two or three years she worked on her mom because she was so upset with her mother. So I got it. So it takes several. I'll tell you <clears throat> a quick story of my connection to Byron Katie, too. Is that cool? Yeah, go ahead. So years ago, we were, I did a film with Ojo called Global Addiction, and, and I was, you know, a young producer and trying to, I'd, stuck my neck on the line trying to get this film made and, and uh Chandler you're calling me um so I was trying to get this film made and and Ojo you know was putting a lot of weight on me and and I had thought I had all the music cleared inside of the movie obviously I didn't you know I thought I did but I didn't and we get down and we're on Sunset Strip and we're inside the key club and we're doing our world premiere of this thing and it's so exciting and so neat and I get a letter from an attorney saying that I'm being sued by the Vandals. And uh, it was a band because I'd used their song. And, oh. and they, I wouldn't even release the movie, but somehow they had found out. I thought I had their release. They didn't. You know, it was just the, they were just trying to money grub, get a little money out of it. At the time, it was just like so tragic. Well, there's this guy. He's a, he's a big mu- music producer that was there that night. And I'm losing my mind, you know. And here this is this was supposed to be this wonderful night for me and my and Shelly's there and the family and everybody and we're you know it's just I'm freaking out. And this guy pulls me aside and just talks me off the ledge and he's like, you know, don't worry about it. It'll all take care of itself. It's not a big deal. And his name was Ross Robinson. And he's he he's like one and he starts we start talking about like he produces like Slipknot and some heavy hardcore bands right and and he's telling me how he really works with the bands to get inside their head and tell them to put everything on the line and we get into this great conversation he's just like and this is all before this show and he calms me down right and i lost touch with him but we we were friends for a bit we we stayed in contact and i'm like man how does this guy have like this ability like he he works with these kind of crazy i mean different crazy than my crazy, but it's like, you know, you know, I just wouldn't think there would be these kinds of conversations or this kind of work done with those kinds of bands. But in order to get that kind of, from an artist is basically what he's doing. You got to get your best performance and how's he's doing this. Well, after we did our work together, I started 
following something. And I remember watching something on Byron Katie, and she said, yeah, I don't really appreciate the kind of music my son makes, but I appreciate the way he does it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw Ross post something, and it said, hey, Mom, just want to wish you a happy Mother's Day. And his mm -hmm. mom's Byron Katie. Yeah. And that wow. made sense. Wow. Of why that all came out. You know, that was 20 years ago. Really? Yeah. So you knew Ross? I know him, yeah. You do? Yeah. Really? Yeah. He talked me off the ledge one night because this deal I was telling you about that. Really? Yeah. But he was very good about it. And he yeah. was calling me down. I'm like, how okay. does this guy know I did, this stuff? I wasn't following you though, that, that that was Byron Katie's son. I yeah. just thought it was some random dude no, that's new of the Byron Katie work. But yeah, so yeah, that's crazy. And you hear Byron Katie talk about, you know, her son creates this music she doesn't really yeah. agree with. Yeah. <laughs> but yet she, she accepts it. Yeah. Right? And then Ross is a fan of the Byron Katie work, right? But not like as dialed in as like maybe her daughter, Roxanne's, like, really into it. I think he knows it pretty well. I think he, uh, yeah. From what I experienced, yeah. this is, again, this was, I think, when she was just getting started. So. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. Wow. And I think that's why Ross has been so successful. I think his mom mm -hmm. has kind of helped him. The way I watched him work, Yeah, he really gets, on, it's a human level. It doesn't matter what it is. He's yeah. working with artists trying to get him to create the best art he can. Wow. Hmm. So. Real talented. He's got an talent anything like his mom he's he's a rock star everybody loves him yeah i'm sure wow that's pretty cool so let's talk briefly bro about your um, baja 1000 race hmm. let's can you talk about that like yeah. less than i'm uh, long-winded i'll give you five the, hours i'll give you the brief yeah so the baja 1000 in 2007 yep Right, talk us through that race because this was forty hours of riding a motorcycle, wiped out, toast, physically exhausted. Like, why do you do it for one, and how do you stay on the bike for two, and what's going through your mind for forty hours as you're hauling ass across the Baja? Well, trying to survive and win, right? Well, I wasn't trying to win at the time, but it, the, the thing about it is I've always been really good at physical pain. I'm not good at emotional pain. I'm getting better at it, but I've been able to, like, endure physical pain. Like, if I broke bones or, you know, things happened, it, that never bothered me. Um, in fact, I, I felt like the, the worse the situations were and the longer it went, the better I would do. And so we started doing these different endurance races, Erzberg and Romaniacs, and nobody in the U.S. was doing them. KTM was pushing us into this stuff and, and Red Bull. And uh, the, the races were just, I, like I'd wrestled in high school and you know cut weight and I was used to suffering. I mean, mountain climbers, all that stuff, it's just how well can you suffer, right? And so endurance motorcycle racing for me was just a, a no-brainer because I could suffer. I wasn't near the talent as half of those guys, but I could suffer. I felt more than most of those guys, so... Um, You're good at suffering. I am. I'm good at <laughs> suffering, physically suffering, and I kind of like physically suffering. I don't like I don't like the emotional. The mental part sucks. Oh man. Well, what do you call it? It's like even the mental on the bike. I'm good with that, but I yeah. like with relationships and stuff. It's a little different. It's a little harder for me. But uh, so Travis, we were we were cutting a film. I think it was Nitro Three, and and we were up all night. And came walking out. And this is like a month before the race starts. And Travis like, let's go solo the thousand. It's the longest one ever. You know, da da da. You're the only one that's dumb enough to do this with me, Godfrey. Let's do it. And I'm like, all right. It's called KTM. They gave me a bike. It, it was like the Millennial Falcon. It was the bike nobody wanted. And my mechanic put it together the night before the race. And I'd even ridden it really? until the race. Yeah. Mm. Travis, you know, he's got his support. And it was cool. Mm -hmm. We get down there. We love Baja. And I think my whole life was preparing me for that moment. Like all the races I did as a kid, all of the endurance races in Europe prepared me for that one moment. And we took off, and I knew I knew Travis was going to come out of the gate just hell bent. Like, and it's just impossible for a human being to run that like at 125 national, you know, or to, whatever. You don't say 125 national anymore, but he run it like that. He ran it was running it like a motocross, and, mm -hmm. and I'm like, this is no way. Yeah, and. We get at the 400-mile mark, and Travis is just pulling out on me. And, I mean, we're going into the night for the first time at the 400, 500-mile mark. And we got through it pretty quick. 
crashed a few times, nothing, nothing drastic. And I'm coming, you know, this is the moment where I, I saw God. <laughs> There's a couple moments, but this is the first one. Um, Trav's pulling out on me. I'm trying to just stay consistent, be on the bike. I get outside of San Ignacio. There's nobody around. And I was scared to death the, the trophy trucks were going to come up on me. Those are the big, monstrous, you know, F1-style off-road tra- trucks. And I don't see anything, don't see anything. I, I keep thinking I'm hearing something. And, I mean, at this point, it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I've been awake for almost 24 hours on that motorcycle. I'm seeing, I mean, it's like Dr. Seuss land. Things are coming alive. Cactuses are moving around. And th- things are jumping out in front of me that aren't jumping out in front of me. I'm losing my mind a little bit. This truck comes down alongside of me. I'm at a buck ten. He's at a buck forty. Blows by me. It was Kurt LeDuke. And I don't know why this happened. You know, maybe it was to needed to be, but my light goes out. Second he goes by me, my light blows out. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Uh that was part uh one uh with Greg Godfrey. Uh I wanna appreciate Greg for sharing his uh unfiltered thoughts here and uh letting us know. Uh there is a way out uh, of suffering. He talked a lot about these worksheets. So your homework for the week is uh, be fearless like Greg. Go find a local Byron Katie facilitator and question one of your most difficult thoughts. Go uh, question that event that's uh, causing you all sorts of emotional pain and see what shows up. Uh, As Greg can attest for you, these worksheets work. Um, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Uh, Thanks for taking your time. And uh, if you need to contact me or would like to uh, uh, me interview anybody specifically, you can email me at themindsgym at gmail.com. And again, please subscribe and uh, leave a review. Uh, Please take some time out of your day to uh, help out the podcast by uh, sharing it with your friends and, and leaving a review. Thanks, guys, and thank you, Greg. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this, and you can't wait for part two. It's even better. So peace.